Welcome to church. Come on, let's clap for God. It's good to be in his house. Amen. Hey, if you're here for the first time, welcome to church. We're glad that you're with us today. And um, listen, I know that if you're um, at a place that's not uh, the norm for you, uh, many people call this place home, but if it's not considered your home, um, I know that it took a lot for you to kind of convince yourself to come. And I just wanted you to know something that um, I'm grateful for. We don't take that decision lightly. Um, we believe that we have this, we have this belief here at True North Church that, um, and we believe this wholeheartedly that, uh, that one word from God can change the trajectory of your life, the outcome of your life. It can change everything about you. Um, only one word, um, what you could strive to accomplish in 30 years, God can do in an instant. Um, we believe that you may think we're crazy for it. We believe that. Um, and if you're here for the second time, last week was your first Sunday with us. Welcome back. We're glad that you're um, back in the house of God. It says in the word of God, it says that those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. And I believe you making a consistent um, decision um, to be disciplined, to be in the house of God will yield uh, much fruit. Um, that's just church lingo for good things in your life. Somebody say amen. Hey, um, and everyone, who, everyone else who considers home, uh, this home, welcome home. We're so glad that you're with us today. And um, as we continue in this series, um, I'm excited about today because anytime I make preparations to share something with you and then um, the day before I look at it, hoping to be inspired and reassured that this is what God wanted me to deliver to his people. Um, you're not my people. Um, this is not my church. It's his church. You are his people. And um, I think it's important for people to understand that. And we play a role in the development and the construction of his church. And um, I'm excited for, for this Sunday because what I believe God wants me to share with you um, is something that I had planned to share, um, but uh, he began to work in me. And as I was preparing uh, this, this, the other evening and the evening before that, and then this morning, my wife um, asked me, she goes, well, how do you feel? You know, how do you feel? And I'm usually like, I'm ready to rock and roll. I'm ready to go. And today I was like, well, I know I'm certain of one thing, that what I did have is not right. But what I do have is what they need. I just don't know how it's going to go. But I want you to just pray with me this morning before we begin. Is that good? And listen, I want you to pray as I'm praying and just ask God to speak, with, speak to you. Like we believe God can do that. We believe that God can speak to you wherever you are in whatever season. Listen, I believe that you could be here and say, I'm an atheist, I'm an agnostic, I don't believe, whatever it may be, and I still believe that God can speak to you. It doesn't matter the posture, the position that you walked into this place with, we serve what we believe is a sovereign, powerful God that can speak to you regardless of the pain, the brokenness, the hurt that you have, he can speak to you in a profound way. But pray with me this morning, Father, I'm grateful that we could be found in your house. I'm grateful that as we gather together, we recognize the uniqueness um, of this place, and the uniqueness is brought to it, not by the fact that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in your image, but God, that you inhabit the praises of your people and your presence, the Holy Spirit is with us today. And Father, as we work through the word of God today, may we have the heart to receive what you have for us. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen. Hey, for those of you who are unaware of this, on the third Sunday of every month, we have what is called Leadership Training Night. It's at 5 p.m., um, and anyone who considers themselves a, a leader, which um, I would, in my position, I would make the, the um, assertion that anyone with influence is a leader. And therefore, almost everyone in here, actually everyone in here is a leader, just in a different variety or different capacity, rather. And, and so on, um, on 
the third Sunday of every month at 5 p.m. Everyone who calls True North Church home, uh, home, we're asking him to come um, to be part of this leadership training night. But I wanted to make an announcement because tonight we're postponing that and um, we're going to actually cancel our 6 p.m. service. I know many of you, um, your friend declines the 9, they decline the 11. You're like, we got one more chance. And so you try to get them back at the 6 p.m. But this evening we're not just due to safety concerns with the weather and the freezing. So just wanted to make that announcement to you guys so that you are aware of that. Um, No more public service announcements. Let's get into the word of God. Is that good? Hey, listen, it says in, in, in Proverbs 29, verse 18, it says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. Another translation will say, um, the people perish. We typically um, pause in that portion of scripture not to read it in its entirety, but it continues to say, but happy is he who keeps the law. I want you to understand something. Maybe you're in life right now and you're in pursuit of something and Maybe you're in pursuit of happiness and joy or whatever, or family or career or job or stability. Maybe you're just in pursuit of stability. I just want stability. Or maybe you're in pursuit of, 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 of a new career or, or things. I don't know what you could be in pursuit of, but this is what I do know. That the Bible correlates, directly connects vision with obedience. Happy is he who obeys the law. That means that that. Those who seek after God and those who actually live according to his ways and his laws and are obedient to him, the Bible says that will be a direct correlation to the vision that they carry in their life. Without it, it almost is equated to people who are unrestrained, meaning that you, you'll, you'll almost walk with no clarity. Just continue to walk around. You'll go through the motions, but no desire to pursue anything with significance. I remember growing up and we built this little, um, this, this fort in our backyard. And I, I think we have one picture of it. And I looked at it the other day and I'm just, you know, I'm appalled that my parents actually allowed that to be in their backyard. Um, but it was like just a, a collection, accumulation of, of um, tarps, planks of wood, two by fours, old things from my father's construction kind of sites that we would accumulate barrels. And it was pretty fancy. I mean, we had multiple floors. We had uh, a basement. It was just like a hole with a tarp on it. Um, it was great until it rained. But then like we had the first floor, we had a second floor. We even had like a third floor. We had a little lookout tower and it, it was dangerous. It was dangerous. We could have probably died on it, but it was awesome. Our parents loved us. And when I was five, my father went on a mission trip. He'll kill me if he knows I'm saying this. Now nah, he probably won't care. My mother would be upset. Um, and he brought home uh, machetes for us at five and says, sons, have a go. And uh, we went in the woods and um, we foraged and lived in the woods for months. No, I'm just kidding. But we... Um, we, we did, we had machetes and I, I remember like, I'll never forget my mother's face when, you know, we were in the backyard just running like this type thing. And she's like, oh my God, like, what is this? And, it, and my father, I believe his response was something along the lines like, everyone in Guatemala has one, honey. They're all young, they all have them. And um, we're, we were all right, and, uh, but we had them. And, and I remember in, in this fort, it was awesome. It was, it was a dream, we loved it. And, and um, we had uh, a friend of ours, their father, um, were uh, Russians and, and they had a bartering system with other people in the community. And I don't know how, but they would barter with different things, but he always had boxes and boxes of chips and chocolate candy, always. And um, somehow that always ended up in our fort. So our fort was like the place to be. And then we found a, a TV in the trash, in the trash and we trash picked it and um, ran a, an extension cord from the fort to our house and plugged in the TV. Now the TV didn't like have anything on it. It was just like, just white lines, you know? I think the only 
I think the only thing that came through was like WWF wrestling or something. It was awesome. And, but we realized that it wouldn't like, you couldn't see it clearly unless you got like those uh, antennas. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Half of you are going this. Okay, so it was just like, there was a TV that had to turn dial and you had to get an antenna. You hooked up the wires to the back where there was these two little screws and you wrapped it. And then the antenna is like, you had to move them. You know what I'm talking about? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Just nod if you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, so you're just smiling at me like, I know, but I don't want to participate. It helps me. It helps me preach, okay? If you're like, yeah, yeah, that's it, okay. And, some, and we had those antennas. Some of the antennas were just like little globes, you know, and you would turn this knob and it would slowly just turn. And once you got the antennas in the right posture, the position, you could see the TV clear. And it was always frustrating because like you'd get it and you're like, ah, and then you'd step away and it would go fuzzy again. And you're like, oh no, and you'd go to touch it, it'd be perfect, and you'd step away and it'd be fuzzy again. And you're like, oh my gosh. And so then you'd find like the youngest sibling and you would say, hey, you go set the TV. And they're like, oh, okay. And they'd go to touch it like, okay, don't move. And you're like, but I want to watch it. You're like, no, you can't. You just stand there the whole time. We'll tell you what happens. And they're like, no, I don't, you will hold that or you'll never come back to the fort. You know what I mean? And um, I don't know why that made me think of this, but um, I, I'm, I'm reminded of, of the need to reposition ourselves spiritually to see God more clearly. And, and, and if we have a refusal to reposition our heart, um, we will continue to walk around and tell everyone how fuzzy the screen is and how we can't see anything, and how everything is cloudy, and nothing is good, and everything is bad, and everyone is dying, and everyone is going to hell, and nothing is working good. But when, when you can reposition things and begin to see things more clearly, aka Jesus, everything in your life begins to look differently. And listen, for many of you, you are constantly reminding yourselves of everything that is wrong. Everything that's wrong. Everything that's wrong. Do you know what do you know what the enemy wants you to do when you stand in church on Sunday and your spouse is not with you? I want you to constantly remind you're, you're, you're probably the only one here by yourself without their spouse. That's a lie. Some of you with your children, you wish your kids were here. Some of you may, you may not be feeling well, wish you were healthy. The enemy constantly reminds you of what you do not have. But you know what faith says to that? Faith speaks to what is not yet as if it already were. Faith says, God, I thank you that my spouse is with me in, in the future, and they will be standing here, not just standing here, but worshiping you. God, I thank you for that. Other people, you may be here and your children are not here. You know what faith says? God, I thank you that my children will walk in salvation, and I thank you for it. Some of you don't have the provision of finances yet, but faith speaks to it and says, God, I thank you that I will have more than enough. Faith speaks differently. It sees things differently. And too many people buy into the fact that the lies of the enemy and just say, no, it is what it is. No, your vision and your future is dependent upon whether you choose to walk in obedience to God or choose to just follow your own beat and your own path. And I just want to talk to some of you today because I really believe that, that we're called to greater things. And I know being in church my whole life that sometimes church can be a, it can be a place where people are striving to be better. And I don't think there's anything wrong with striving to be better. I know that the Bible talks about operating out of rest and not striving, not constantly worrying, am, am I doing good enough? Should I do more? Do I need to do more? What am I not doing? And the Bible says that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It's talking about the motivation of our pursuit of Jesus should come up from a place of love. And some of you are saying, well, well where does that love come from? We love because he first loved us. 
period, our ability and our capacity to love does not come from anything other than the fact that our God loved us. And in his love towards us, we have the ability to love him and to love other, love other people. But for many of us, when we come to church, we live in a culture today that's always about making ourselves better, making ourselves better. Like when people come to church, when I invite someone to church who's far from God, I'll say, hey, you should come to church. Ah, oh, you know what? You know what? As soon as I fix this, as soon, listen, as soon as I get my relationships together, listen, as soon as I deal with this addiction, hey, as soon as I deal with this family issue, hey, as soon as I just get this job, I just need to get this job with my family. As soon, listen, as soon as I get this job, like I will be there, okay? Um, as soon, can I tell you something? It's this pursuit of trying to fix you. And one would think that when we come into an understanding of what grace is, that we, meaning we cannot fix ourselves, but he does it for us, that he does what we cannot do for ourselves, you would think that we would stop striving to just make ourselves better, but it continues and it perpetuates itself in the house of God, clouded under this idea that I'm in a pursuit of Jesus, but really I'm in a pursuit to make myself better. I think a lot of us sometimes, I want you to get this. I just want you to understand it because I hear too many people just come to me and say, hey, I tried church, it just don't work for me. Man, I, I've been, I've been, I was raised in church. It's not for me. It's not for me. You know, yeah, I, I, listen, I, I, trust me, I'm, I'm happy it works for you. Happy it works for you. That's the best one. Happy it works for you. I'm thinking in my mind, no, 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 my God sent his son to die for me and for you. And I'm confused and I'm perplexed as, as people, people pursue everything and anything but the one they should, who is Jesus. And as we go through this journey of life, I know, listen, every time the new year comes around, what are our convictions, our goals? It's usually like, I wanna lose 20 pounds. I wanna do this, I wanna do that. I wanna get in shape. I wanna eat healthy. I wanna read more books. I wanna do all these things. Great, I don't think God is disappointed in you desiring to be a better person. But can I tell you something? I've come to realize that I will not grow into what God has called me to be if Jesus is subtracted from the equation. He needs to be the essence of my heart and my pursuit. It's in my pursuit of Jesus that I will experience my greatest growth. My greatest growth. It will not come from me striving, from me working harder, from me trying to figure it out. Listen, you know what pride says? I'll tell you what, this is, listen to me for a second. This is what pride says, pride says, and I know this because this was me. Back row in church, no offense to you in the back row. And, um, Back row in church, and I would, I would sit, I know people in the back row of this house love Jesus, amen? And, um, and I would sit back there like this, and every time something would be said, I'd be like, oh yeah, sure. Uh, you know, the old, my, my daughter does this now, she's five, I was like, honey, can you do that? She's like, okay, dad. I'm like, what happened to your eyes? Like, why do you do that? And um, she saw one of her cousins do it, and um, won't say names, but, and, uh, and so it's like, you know, kind of rolling eyes, like, you the eyes don't need to do that, honey. Just, just do it. But I know in our spirit, from, even for, for many men, being in the house of God and this concept of surrendering things to God, it fights against pride, fights against it. And we, we almost, in, in the house of God, for, for many of us, if pride or arrogance is an issue, we use every restraint that we can to just sit still because it fights against this desire to actually surrender things to God, to almost acknowledge before God, God, you're in control. 
Can I just remind some of you of this? The Bible says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. It's either here in the opportunity of the free will that you have to surrender to God, or you will acknowledge him at some point. It's strong, but it's truth, and it's freeing to recognize that I would rather have God in control of the areas of my life that I think that I can control better than he can. It's this freeing and this act of saying, no, I'm going to choose on the outset of everything that I pursue to pursue Jesus. Can somebody say amen? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, this is what the word says. It says that blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. It comes from this idea. Do you know the word of God says that no man can judge the motives or intentions of people? Do you ever have a Christian come up and be like, I think that you have a heart issue. <laughs> like, well, actually, the word of God says that no man can do that. No one has the right to judge someone's motives or intentions. The Bible actually speaks to this, though it sounds peculiar. It's quite easy to understand. The Bible says that we can judge people based upon not their motives and their intentions, but based upon the fruit that they bear. Now, I know everyone here grows fruit. Um, in their backyard. That's not what it's talking about, but the expression can live and speak to all of us. It's that, what does your life reproduce? What does your life reproduce? The Bible says that those who are in Christ Jesus can look to what a life yields and use wisdom and discernment based upon what the life yields. But none of us, the Bible says, can walk into someone's life, into the relationships and say, I know the motives and the intentions of your heart. The only one that can do that is God. The Bible does leave us the opportunity to say, well, your life is yielding certain things and we can use wisdom on how to approach people in that. My passion as we've been talking through this series is to really help illuminate for many of you this, this idea of this journey we're on with the Lord. That I don't know about you, but have you ever followed someone um, because you didn't know how to get to where you were going and take cell phones out of the picture. I know it's hard now, um, but imagine, do you remember when you actually had to get somewhere before you had a cell phone? It's like four of you are like, yeah, no, it's good. And, um, and you're like, well, who are we gonna follow? And they're like, so-and-so is driving. And you like immediately are like, oh gosh, they drive really fast. But every move that they would make, you would follow. Do you know what I'm talking about? Even to when like you're on the highway, when you're on the highway and there's like four lanes on the, high, on the highway and the person who is leading, they just conveniently wanted to bob four lanes over, two lanes, three lanes, four lanes, and just because they just wanted to get by the two cars. And you were like frantically trying to like, you almost killed yourself six times only to realize they just wanted to pass one car. But you moved all, all, the, all the time. They moved, you're moving back and forth, back and forth. Oh, put your blinker on, put your blinker on. You even had the co-pilot saying, they're turning, they're turning. I, I can't see them, speed up, type thing. The stress to what? To follow the person that's in front of you. I think following someone requires intentionality. It requires focus. It requires me to say, no, 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 where is God leading me? The word says that his words illuminate our, our steps and illuminate our path. Well, we, if we're followers of Christ, we need to make sure that every time he's calling us to move, that we're ready to move. We're intentional, we're focused, we're ready to go where he's leading us. And I don't know, I think somewhere along the way, we, we, we misappropriate our role in being followers of Jesus Christ. We pray prayers that, subtly request God to get behind the visions that we have for our life. We subtly request God to 
to give us clarity about what our future will look like, but don't really yearn or long to live on a daily basis trusting him in all of our ways. I know in some of my prayers that this happened to me once very clearly where I felt like I was praying for clarity. And I shared this before. God, give me clarity. Give me clarity. So it's like God said, that's not what you need. And I'm thinking, no, 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 no. It's what I need. It's what I need. I have a big decision. I need clarity. No, no, no. Sometimes clarity just provides you with more more confidence in yourself, which is the very thing that God does not want you to have. It's like, what? What? I've been told my whole life I should have confidence in me. Confidence that does not come from your own skill and your own talents, but one that comes from him, yes. God wants us to be dependent upon him, which increases our trust in ourselves. No, it increases our trust in him. So I, I want us to recognize that as we go through this journey, our pursuit should be of him. Our pursuit of Jesus. If you're with me, say I'm with you. Yeah. Social media is a powerful tool today for the church. It helps us leverage the ability to communicate, but the world fights for your eyes, fights for your eyes. It will do anything that it can to get your eyes to be fixed upon what it has to offer. Social media is a platform by which these pictures of other people's journey become not a sharing platform as though they're pitched, but more of a comparison platform. And I know you've heard of this before, and it's like, oh, I know social media, but I don't know how many times we can hear something, but it never truly sinks in. But many of us look at all the things that other people have, and it begins to breed this comparison, which breeds discontentment. And you're going through life bitter and upset and frustrated that you don't have what other people have. And I know it's like one of these subtle things that the enemy uses to lure people away from the things or the pursuit rather of God. In and of themselves, they seem harmless, but I know for a fact that many times they distract hours and hours and hours, not only of our time, but of our thinking away from the things that we should be thinking of and things that we shouldn't be thinking of. There's this passage in scripture in 2 Kings of this prophet by the name of Elisha. The only way I remember it is the S in Elisha means that he was the second prophet to Elijah. And he had a servant. And there was this scene in the scriptures that there was an army surrounding the prophet of God. And he sees the army. It's a real army. It's not a fake army. It's not holograms. They're like real people. They want to kill the prophet and people in the city. And and the servant's freaking out. And, and, And he's saying, hey, um, Elisha, um, we are surrounded. Um, you, we need to do something. We need to do something. And I love the prayer that Elisha prays because I, I, I want this to be a prayer for my life. I want to see things in a, in a new light. I want to see things that God sees. In 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17, listen to what the prophet says. It says, Elisha prayed. This is what he's praying and his servant is there. Open his eyes, Lord. I don't know about you, but if I was the servant, I'd probably be like, my eyes are open. <laughs> like, I can see. Like, this is not good. You know what I mean? He says, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened this servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. The army of the living God had surrounded the enemies against the prophet of God, but the servant could not see the things in the spirit. So the man of God prayed to God and says, let him see what I see. Do you know, I've watched in my life 
faith in action. I've watched people live out this faith, substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen, living out this faith that says, no, 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 though there are 30 people in church in 2006 when we started, we see thousands of people gathering on a weekend at locations all throughout the state. Now, if you were in that room in 2006, you'd be like, these people are like on something. You know, they're like, we're just a little crazy. But speaking to what is not yet as if it were, living with this faith in action, I've watched Jesus in the areas of healing heal people free from cancer. I've watched Jesus in areas of addiction set people free from addiction. I've watched Jesus restore marriages when they seem completely lost. I've watched Jesus restore families. I've watched Jesus save children and grandparents and great-grandparents and moms and dads and aunts and uncles. I've seen Jesus in action. I've watched him. I've watched the evidence of people's faith throughout this church, and I want more. I want to see Jesus more. I want to see him more, not only in my life. I want him this... I want you to pursue him so you can see him more in your life, to see the evidence of Jesus more in your life. I know people, listen, when I, when I tell people who I haven't seen for a long time, and they say, hey, what are you doing these days? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. And they're like, of, of what? <laughs> like, well, it's, you pastors are pastors of church. And they're like, oh, God. <laughs> I was like, no, I am. You should come. And I love conversations where people have presuppositions or ideas of what this place is. And I have no desire to introduce people to a building or to a, a class or to an organization. My heart's desire is that people would be introduced to Jesus and meet the living Savior, one that can redeem and restore and heal. Listen, some of you were not seeking Jesus when you came here. You were seeking a solution to your pain. You were seeking a solution to the brokenness in your life. You're seeking a solution in, in the broken marriage or the family or the addiction or the issues of your life. You were seeking a solution and you came and you saw this. And some people mistakenly think that it is the, it is the act or the habit of going through the motions that somehow recreate this feeling. God does not work that way with humanity. He works from the inside out. He, he recalibrates the spirit of a person when they surrender their life to Jesus. It's a supernatural thing. And so when people come to the house, like, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. It's because you're seeing things through the lens of the flesh and through the natural, but God is a supernatural God. He does stuff on the inside of people. If you could see the things that I've seen over the years as God has taken someone where you're like, man, I don't know how, God, you're going to do something with that. And God just restores them into a beautiful picture of his redemption. Yeah. And his creation and God begins to do things that quite frankly I could never see on the outset but now my prayer is God let me see what you see and for many of us we go through this journey of life and we constantly remind God of what we actually see and we're like that servant with Elisha saying all I see is an enemy that's surrounding me all I see is is people pressing in around me and Elisha's prayer is this God open his eyes that he may see what if what 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 if what if what if your prayer is not one that says, God, fix this, but one that says, God, I just need you in this. Let me see what you see in it. Can I tell you that as we seek solutions from God, it's in this pursuit that we miss the giver of the blessing only to desire to seek the blessing itself. And that's not what we're called to. We're not followers of blessings. 
We're followers of Jesus. And so he leads us and guides us through all seasons of life. Do you know that in the Psalm 23, David says that the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. Is that in your spirit? Can you walk through circumstances through the valley of the shadow of death and fear, fear no evil? How? Because he guides me and he comforts me. And he is my shepherd. And therefore, I lack nothing. There's this substance in one spirit that says, I surrender everything to God. Do you know why people think it's peculiar that people give to the house of God? Experiences may prove otherwise if you've been in church for a while and you say, well, I used to give and this happened. I used to give and this happened. Giving to the house of God is never about giving to any person. It's about an acknowledgement of who is the provider of what you ultimately have. We, we pray every dinner, and it's a fight now who prays. You know, it's like, okay, let's pray. And um, then it's just all like, you know, so now I'm like just tempted to like, you know, no, you will pray. And I was like, oh, I want to pray. No, she, she will pray. He will pray, you know. The other night we were praying, and um, I said, you know what, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. So, Lord, I thank you that you've provided us with this meal, this delicious meal, blessed to our bodies. And then everyone rushes to say amen before the other one. So it's like, amen. I'm like, I'm not done. They're like, I said amen first. And you're like, okay, Lord, help me. Amen. So we finished the prayer four times. And, um, and Harper looks at me. She goes, why do, you, why do you thank God for that? Mommy made it. And I'm like, you would say that, honey. And um, she, then she says to me, she's like, well, what does that mean? And I said, listen, I say, God gives us everything. She says, well, actually, we bought that from Walmart. And I said, okay, um, God gives us um, the resources. No, actually, the church gives you that. Okay. Um, honey, and I looked at her right in the eye. I said, honey, everything we have, everything from the healthy body to the talents and the curiosities that are in us, the strengths and the weaknesses, everything you have, the talents that you have to be so creative, all of those things, they come from God. They were not accidental. They were not misappropriated. They come from God. People misappropriate obedience. Obedience is an act of declaration to God to say, you are in control of this. You are in control of this. The hardest things, the hardest thing humanity fights is to relinquish control. It's in control that we think we're safer. We think we're stronger. We think we're more protected. We think we're better off, but it's in the act of surrender and the act of submission to say to God, surrender is not a failure. Surrender is not weak. Surrender is an acknowledgement of who's ultimately in control of your life. And when you can do that, God will advance you in days what would take you decades to accomplish. See, some of you think that it's the modification on what happens in the exterior of your life. That's not the case. It's what God wants to do on the inside of you. So let me set some of you free this morning. Stop chasing to be a better person and start chasing Jesus. When you pick up your Bible, stop trying to learn stuff. It's good to learn things. It's good to be well-informed. It's good to be filled with the Word of God. The Bible says that our faith increases when we read the Word. But I know for me in my life, I would read to acquire information. And then I would feel better about myself the more that I read. And I would say, well, well done. You read 14 chapters today. But you, every other person, read one. 
you know, and I would feel better about myself. I'm like, I don't think this is why we're supposed to read, you know? Some of us will get frustrated and confused and say it doesn't make sense every time we pray, even when we don't have the right words. All of our pursuits in prayer and in the word and being in the house of God are declarations to what? It's saying, God, I desire to pursue you. And when you pursue Jesus, he releases the blessings and the miracles in your life. I um, had a whole other message I wanted to preach today. And um, you can listen to the other service online, I guess. But um, there was this woman by the name of uh, Florence Chadwick. And she was an American swimmer. Um, I think she was born in like 1918 or something and passed in 1995. And I read a little story on her the other day and was fascinating to me. I wanted to share it with you. That she would swim these crazy distances in open seas, 20, 30 miles at a time. And she was, I believe, lived in San Diego at the time and she was um, getting ready to set out on this swim. And I think it was 15 or 20 miles. And there were all these little boats surrounding her, um, not really to cheer her on. They were just making sure she didn't get eaten by sharks and um, probably to cheer her on too. You know what I mean? And and so she's swimming and a heavy fog sets in. And for about 15 miles and she's just swimming in this heavy fog and she can't see anything. And even though I think her mother was in the boat and other coaches are like, come on, you're almost there, you're almost there. She said, take me out, I can't do it. I just cannot do it. And though she had swam longer distances before, they take her out only for her to realize that when she got in the boat, though she couldn't see it through the fog, she was less than a mile from the shoreline. And so it was only a few months later, I believe, and I don't have all this together, but I, she attempts it again the second time. And the exact same thing happened. The fog began to fall and she couldn't see anything before. And yet she swam the distance and accomplished it. And people asked her, they said, well, what, what made all the difference? She goes, when I closed my eyes, I didn't see the fog. I just focused on the shoreline. And though every time I opened it, I was reminded that I can't see it. I closed my eyes and saw that which I could not see. And I think for us as followers of Christ, that is a proclamation of what it means to walk by faith and not by sight, is to speak to the enemy and say, though things are not yet as they may be, God's not done yet. And I just believe that as sons and daughters of the King, our passionate pursuit of Jesus should be one that declares in the face of oppositions that I'm not in the pursuit of acknowledgement, I'm not in the pursuit of this, I'm in the pursuit of Jesus. Um, I read three stories this morning, and I wanted to draw reference to them in Luke. One of the stories was about Zacchaeus. Um, one of the stories was about the men who lowered their friend through the roof. And the last story was about this woman who was dealing with the issue of bleeding for about 12 years. And as we talk through all of those stories, we recognize that every single one of them had to deal with an opposition or an obstacle that prevented them from seeing Jesus more clearly. I don't know what is in front of you, what obstacles you face. Some were simple obstacles. They needed to get a better vision and they climbed into a tree to have better sight of Jesus. Some people had an obstacle because they were unable themselves to get before Jesus so other people carried them. And someone else had an obstacle of people pressing around Jesus where they couldn't get close enough but she refused to be denied to touch Jesus and she went and pressed through all the obstacles to get to the face of Jesus. And in each scenario, we not only find healing, which was the desired result to seek Jesus, <laughs> we see that once they came to Jesus, he dealt with the issues of the heart and said, salvation is found in this house. Son, your sins are forgiven. 
Now rise up and walk. And in each situation, Jesus, though they desired a solution to their immediate, their immediate issues that they saw, Jesus saw a greater need, a spiritual one, and he spoke to that first. Listen, my prayer for this year for everyone is that as we as a family pursue Jesus, that we would be able to recognize right up front, none of us are perfect. None of us are going to get it right the first time. May grace abound in this place. And what grace does, it says, it's all right if you fail. We're still going to be here to love you. It's all right if you screw up. It's all right if you mess up. It's okay. This is a place of grace. Amen. Hey, listen, let me pray for you. Can you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, I thank you um, for everything that you're doing in us and through us as a family. Father, I pray today that, that you would begin to speak to people right now, wherever they find themselves, regardless of their circumstance, regardless of the situation they may be in. Father, I pray that, you're, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you draw people to yourself, that you'd begin to speak to people right now. Lord, I know that, that nothing can stop you from speaking to someone, that nothing can, can prevent you from changing a life, from restoring relationships, from healing broken bodies, from mending broken hearts. And Father, we declare that over this house right now for those who are present, Father, dealing with pain, dealing with issues of brokenness, dealing with addiction, Father, dealing with financial troubles, whatever it may be, Father, we speak life to it. May their heart and may their motives be ones, be, be motives that are in pursuit of you and you alone. Father, I thank you what you've begun in us and we will be faithful to see it to completion. Hey, thanks for watching. I pray that that message was a blessing to you and I pray it's encouraged you um, wherever you find yourself in your journey of life. We never like to end any one of our services without giving you um, the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse nine, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus was raised to life that you will be saved and Salvation is a free gift. You can't earn it, you can't buy it, you can't work towards it. It can only be received. It's this incredible grace that comes only from God. So the Bible says that right where you are in your season, not trying to fix anything else, not trying to get yourself better, not waiting or putting off salvation, but today to make the decision to say yes to Jesus, that you know you can't save you, that you need Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says it only requires you to say a simple prayer. So repeat after me, just say this prayer. Say, dear, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again. Come into my life and make me new. I'm now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you just said that prayer, we believe that your eternity is secure in Christ. One of the things that I wanna encourage you to do, your next step, if you would, um, is to tell somebody, whether you're telling us through the website and contacting us and informing us or telling someone else at a local church that maybe you visited. The second thing I wanna encourage you to do is to be planted in a healthy Bible-based church, whether it's True North Church or another church close to you, find a church community to do life with. Man, we're so excited for you. Make sure that you get a Bible. If you don't have one, please reach out to us. We'd love to bless you with the Bible and encourage you on your journey with Jesus. I'm excited for you. I truly believe that your best days are still ahead.